Welcome back to the podcast. This is John, and today I have a good friend of mine, uh, uh, Effie. Uh, I'd have her explain more about herself. Uh, but first, Effie, could you say hi? Hi, guys. Yeah, very brief. <laughs> <laughs> Straight to the point. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. So, uh, so Effie is the second guest. Um, in this series, um, the whole point is to try and highlight, uh, you know, the, the a piece of knowledge which I feel is lacking, um, which which revolves around the connection between civic and religious matters. Um, and so, just to get some exposure, uh, um, you know, uh, we have with us Effie. Effie is a lawyer. Uh, which means she's argumentative, <laughs> and it, and that's okay. I mean, if if we were all calm and collected, life would be very boring. So, uh, Effie, yes, I met you, I believe, through Kuza. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but so which actually means you're you're a friend from this year, not from any other time before. So I think this would be a revelation to me as to everyone else. Tell us about yourself. Where were you born? Um, like, I like saying this, but were you born in a, were you, did you fall from heaven? Were you, in a supermarket? Um, so yeah, my name is Effie Joanna Tieno. I like using my three names to introduce myself. Um, I was born in Makadara, Makadara maternity, um, raised in Kariobangi for most of my life. So, yeah, <laughs> and um, my, my childhood was just normal, you know, basic from, yeah, single parent home. And um, I, I went to school, I went to Rubycraft, then I went to Hill School in Eldoret. Then I came to Nazarene for university. I was not initially meant to do law because in high school I realized I was really good at sciences. Mimi, humanities, history, geography, theory, those were not my things. I was really good in sciences. So I always envisioned myself as an engineer or some, you know, software engineer somewhere or mechanical. But yeah, I think law was like a rebellion because <laughs> everyone was like, oh, you, you should take journalism. You know, you'll do really well. And I was like, no, that's the last thing I will do on this app. So, yeah, I think that's how I ended up in law school. Just I had to settle on something and it wasn't going to be um, journalism. But, yeah, when I got in and I started learning, it was just so much fun. And... 
I realized it's actually more of me than if I would have been an engineer or something like that. So, yeah, uh, my influence, I think my name first. I, I have to live up to my name. I've been named after Justice If You Were. So, okay. So I just, yeah, I have to live up to the name. But my biggest inspiration has been Justice Angawa, Justice Mary Angawa. So she's one um she's she's a really good lady you know someone i look up to when it comes to spiritual matters and legal issues because she was in a space where she had a lot of influence and uh, she used her christianity well let me say so because most people once they go to such positions they just lose it and her stand when it comes to integrity issues was just amazing that woman would not compromise on anything so yeah she's one person i really look up to until now i still do and yeah that's that's just it that's a summary about me uh, okay all right so um you okay okay you you put it very <laughs> do i didn't know uh you know um justice was 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 part of the story, was part of your story. I think it's amazing. I met also at the university, um, always, always, um, like, she, okay, not every time, but she was mostly there whenever she could. Um, she would attend the services and uh, there was no, there's no lesson discussion. For those of you who are not Adventists, um, we, we have this saying that SDA means uh, Sabbath school, <laughs> divine and afternoon, which, you know, describes the whole um, the day long service. So the first segment is is a Bible discussion called Sabbath School, um, and with each and every Sabbath School, she would always, you know, she would be out there, she would be giving points. Um, the way we say Anangusha Mistari, you know, dropping bombs and 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 uh, you know, unveiling content <laughs> and all these things, and and you kind of. You 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 wouldn't even guess that she's she's a justice. Like you'd she she how how would you say she she, she doesn't have this um you know the, you know people in power you know or people who've been in power they 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 walk around they're flamboyant and you can't even know that about her. <laughs> it's amazing the kind of humility that exists there and. I think uh, anyone who has passed through University of Nairobi State Church has been blessed greatly by her presence there. Um, so, all right, so that's that's about her. Shout out to her. Um, and I think that's, it's, it's a perfect way now to pan into the aspect of women in power um, before we, you know, move into everything else. <laughs> um, women, in power presents a lot of problems to some men. Um, why is that? <laughs> uh, women, wait, did you say women bring problems to some men, women in power? For some men, it, it, it appears so. It, it looks like, you know, women should not be in power. Um, I think that comes from a point of just let me say having an archaic mind just just to be plainly honest 
because we come from a society where women are regarded as people who are supposed to stay home and men are supposed to are supposed to be working or men are supposed to be in positions of power men are supposed to be the decision makers in the home and in the country and even from our history we have very few women who are in leadership so i think there is that element of feeling challenged because you know there are some people who still have the specific gender roles in their head you know the expectations of men versus the expectations of women so when now these roles are switching and women are also getting into high in highly influential places it it becomes like a competition you know and then now we even have the constitution giving us affirmative action so we are here to stay you know so men just have to adjust <laughs> but yeah i feel you know there's some some threat the same way two men can't be in, in one home you know there's that element of feeling threatened i just feel that's it so um let, let me ask let me ask ask it in this way uh, does it mean that therefore that you know the gender roles are redundant or how should um you we're talking about someone who is a millennial um they're just coming out um maybe they're finishing or they're finished university uh, getting their first job etc um, starting to build their life um this young man looking at the ladies uh preferably in church but let's say around him <laughs> looking at the ladies around him uh you know should he be worried uh, that maybe his his potential wife would be in a let me say like what are the dynamics there because you you can imagine the kind of questions going through his mind he's like okay should sh <laughs> okay okay first i don't think gender roles are redundant i just think they are being restructured i'm not saying we are doing away with them they're just being restructured in that we do not confine ourselves to the specific gender roles that have been assigned or set to us um we are in, we we are in this space where we believe you can do more than what people confine you to you can be more than that so when it comes to you finding a wife or a man looking for just you know look for someone that fits you an empowered woman cannot be with a man who is still in those old age and thinking of sijui the woman can't work the woman has to stay home no an empowered woman needs an equally empowered man and as a man if you feel she's a threat just go find your perfect match you know like whatever floats your boat but yeah i think uh, they are not redundant they are just there but it's time we have the conversation of can a woman do more than what people think she can do like this is something that has always bothered me from childhood like i was this kid yes i am female i know that by all means but oh what's chan am fai kuchezai so what i used to do i used to defy that mimi when we were playing i would not play the games that were for girls because i was not good at them in any way so i used to play the you know the boyish games and things like that because i just hated someone telling me uh uh you are not supposed to play this game because you are a girl you are supposed to do this so you know 
for me, I grew up knowing that I have to defy these stereotypes that people have set. And when you look at gender roles, they actually come from a point of stereotypes. Women cannot do this, and therefore, you confine them for a certain space. And right now, we're just trying to redefine them that, yes, they can do what you're telling them they can do. They can cook and clean and all that, but they can also hold positions of power. So we are not doing away with the traditions and the traditional view of a woman and the role of a woman in society or the role of a man, but we're just making it clear that it goes beyond just that. Mm, okay. Um, okay, that, that's that's very interesting. There's a few thoughts that have been running through my mind um, when you are speaking. And, you know, in, in a way, um, I, I think, you know, there's a realignment of, of, of there's a kind of realignment of those roles, um, or rather how they play out um, in our society, um, to mean that um, you have, um, you have a situation where uh, women are, because it's all about economic empowerment, really, um, because you have, you know, families, relationships, and marriages where, let's say, the, the wife earns more than the husband. Now, psychologically, um, that would bother any man, um, not because of, you know, men are dogs or men have anything wrong, but we are naturally built to be providers. Essentially, that's that's how it's supposed to be. And so um, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's something from nature, all right? Um, and to, to such a point that if the woman is going to be providing anything, um, it's going to be charity. <laughs> to, to the marriage, it's out of charity that you'd give, not really um, to provide. Essentially, that's how all marriages should be, uh, because it's it's a fact of nature that um, the man is on to provide. Um, even me, for example, obviously I'm not I've not married yet, so <laughs> but <laughs> but you, um, you have this feeling and sensation. Okay, if I stay home for a week, I start feeling weird. I just can't stay in the house. It's 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 not who I am. Um, now, on the case of women, uh, you have this situation where, and and this is where I want to get to, um, the fact that there's the cost to pursuing a career for a woman, uh, and the cost is motherhood. Uh, for example, uh, I'm sorry if I have to use this example. Justice, please forgive me, um, <laughs> but. I don't think she's married, right? Justice, yeah, she's not. Um, and there's a reason for that because just look at the kind of job she was doing. Um, you know, sometimes she'd be posted somewhere, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, you can't have a, you can't bring up kids when you're constantly moving. And you know, how will it be with your husband? So there are all these questions that come in when a lady is pursuing a career, but a man can do it without necessarily sacrificing the family. And this is a bit because um, yes, the stereotypes. Part of it is is societal, but like the foundation is just about nature. Because until men start giving birth, there won't be a full realignment of those roles. <laughs> and and for me, the conclusion I came to was there are some women who are just built for that, you know, career mode and and you know the the CEO woman and all that. And good for them. Let them go for it, uh, but they have to understand that. And and I think they'll reckon with the fact that 
they have to either balance or sacrifice motherhood um, because a woman is emotionally equipped uh, to be a mother. A man, and I'm sure, you've seen these memes of, of men with their kids at all, <laughs> putting them upside down or caging them somewhere because we just don't know how to deal with all that emotion. Um, you know, men are, men operate on errors, women operate on agape, which uh, not the errors that people think, errors in Greek, uh, classical Greek literature is merely loving the beautiful. Um, and, and that means um, you, you look inward. Um, but women and children are operating on agape, which means um, they come outward. So when a man is hurt, he doesn't express it. Manaumeni um, He keeps it inward. But when a lady is hurt, I think the whole uh, the whole village will know. Um, so <laughs> anyway, that's just my thought on on that and the fact that maybe you can say something about the cost of motherhood. Uh, how are you going to deal with that yourself in case you're looking to go ahead um, so much deeper into some of these careers? Okay, well, first of all, what you said is exactly some of the stereotypes I try to break personally. I I don't see the need of someone telling me, you know, the man can take care of the home and go work. And then someone tells me I have to choose between my career and being a mother. I don't have to choose all of it. Why the hell not? You know, if I can do all of them, I feel I should be allowed to. But, you know, when society keeps that, uh, putting in you that, no, you have to decide. And that's why you find some mothers find it difficult once they deliver to go back to work because mother you have to sit and take care of your child and i'm like what is wrong with people if you can handle both of them handle both of them personally i want to do both because i want kids and for those who know me know i want a lot of kids <laughs> but i also want to get to the peak of my career i am thinking of going to ksl i want my master's degree potentially two. I want my PhD. I want to practice. I want to run my business. At the end of the day, I, wa I want it all. And if I can handle it, I feel I should be allowed to do it without any judgment or any criticism, because at the end of the day, it's my decision. So for until I get to a point where I feel it's my breaking point and I handle, then at that point, the mother always chooses the family in most cases i'm not saying choosing your career is wrong but in most cases they end up choosing the family <laughs> yeah okay fine um i i guess maybe what what i should have said is because because what i said was you 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 have to calculate the cost not really because it's there it's real i mean and this is what i said until men start giving birth um, and until they are emotionally equipped uh, with all the, like, you know, because men, there are fundamental differences between men and women. And they are biological and they are natural. And, and so that, like, the roles in part come out from that. There's also the societal stereotype, yeah, um, which now accentuates the problem. But really, essentially, you have a situation where if you're a woman, and you're going to go forward with some of those deep careers. Yes, you can do both. I think you know the 
Trump just picked a, a nominee for replacing um, uh, Ginsburg at the Scotters, um, and 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 she, she I don't know she she has what six kids. <laughs> She has many kids. She even adopted two of them uh, from from Haiti, and 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 also she's been a judge throughout, you know, um, and 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 so this is the kind of thing. It's a calculation where you actually need a, a husband who is um, capable of shouldering to, to help you carry those dreams, um, and at the same time, you know, be available as a mother as well. So it's it's not, and I think this comes down to the kind of partnership you come up with 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 your husband um, going forward. Um, and no, unfortunately, not many men understand that. Not many men in Kenya. <laughs> yeah. So, but the the fact of nature still remains because you'd still come back. Because I didn't play with dolls when I was a kid, but you did. I'm certain you did. And and that's indicative of something. It, there's a natural um, proclivity within men and women that is different. So, in that sense, you know, I totally agree with you. Like, it's possible to do both. No one is stopping you, and the choice is is up to you. And it's up to you to also look at the kind of proposals that come your way and see, okay, is this person capable of help helping me, you know, carry out my dreams, at the same time be a mother. Um, all right, so that that kind of brings us to the aspect of women in, um, like today. Okay, you mentioned something about you mentioned something that almost made me vomit. It's <laughs> it's it's a affirmative action uh, for me. I, I I find it very repulsive, uh, repugnant, and how does Babu say uh, <laughs> repulsive, repugnant, and oh sorry, um, and and I okay. He gets into some weird language, but explain to us now, like, what is this issue with two-thirds um, gender rule? Is it necessary to solving the problem? And first of all, what is the problem? Oh, my goodness. I remember this debate back in campus. I think I was in my second year, and this debate came about when we were having, I think it was constitutional law one class. Well, my stand has always been the same and will be the same. Affirmative action is not bad, but it has to stop at some point. Uh, when you look at Kenya, for example, um, we, have we have a situation where, for example, in primary school, the cutoff marks for the ladies are always lower than that for the gents, right? Same thing in campus because you find that a guy being admitted to an, uh, a national school, you have to get like really good marks, let's say 400 or 390 and above. Some females get into, into national schools with even 360, 370 marks. That's, that's just one. And I think it's because um, of the past injustice. So affirmative action simply seeks to correct past injustice. That is discrimination of people with disability, discrimination of women, which happen so it is not a bad thing their heart was in the right place and i always go back to the mischief rule what was the vision of the lawmaker when they were drafting that section of the constitution they were thinking women have had it rough you know for example uh, now i'm speaking affirmative action is very wide but now i'm speaking with regards to women 
Uh, yes, they have been discriminated in the past. They have not had a good chance at education. So it's basically to give them an upper hand and enable their male counterparts. So in my opinion, that is the problem they're trying to solve. But I feel we go about it the wrong way in that once I have had a chance to go to, to be admitted to a good high school, I have had a chance to go to a good university. Why again do I need to be favored when it comes to the job market? Let me just compete. That's just me. I feel at that point, affirmative action should stop and people should just compete because you've had the same chance at education, you know. So it's supposed to be an equalizer, but at what point do you people become equal? Is it when we have two thirds gender rule passed? For me, that's not it. For me, the moment you can have a woman like Charity Ngilu run for office, just like Kivuta Kibwana and Alfred Mutua, and actually win and become the governor, that shows you that she does not need affirmative action in order to be boosted to a position of power. She can do it. So affirmative action, there has to be a point where it actually stops. And um, I think the obsession with the two-thirds gender rule, you know, it's already there. So there's really nothing we can do about it at this point. But I feel it compromises on quality of work. Because if we have a gentleman coming to apply for this job, but we're like, no, we have enough gentlemen, so we have to employ a lady. Yet, she's not nearly as qualified as this gentleman. I have already compromised on the quality of work. So I don't know. I feel we compromise on quality just to have the two-thirds gender rule in offices, in workspaces, and it's just absurd. And yeah, I get it. It, it repulses me sometimes. But yeah, just because I feel it needs to stop at some point. So the way I'm going to, um, or rather, let me say this, my, my reply is simple. Um, you see, if, 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 you see, if we are setting up a rule um, in society, it has to be consistent, at least with itself. Um, if, why is it okay to have uh, affirmative action you know, in primary school, KCP, KCSE in high school. Why is it okay to have it there, but not in getting jobs or let's say even, um, you know, uh, government and power um, later on in life? You know, it has to be consistent throughout. And the reason for me um, is that at the end of the day, uh, even if you're doing it in primary school, even if you're doing it with the right intentions, as you say, they had a good heart, or their heart was in the right place. <laughs> Even if these are the situations or the characteristics of, of what's going on, um, you have a situation where you're taking from one and giving to the other. And so there's a violation of the rights of men, of boys who are sitting for that KCP, um, and you're giving it to another one, another lady, maybe a chance to enter a national school, those marks and all that. And what, it, what it's doing is, you know, for me, my, my philosophy is that uh, if we are all equal, okay, there should be other means of redressing past injustices rather than, um, you know, taking from one to give to another. It's, it's a bit similar to, if you expand it, it's the same philosophy as, uh, or rather, it's the same thinking behind socialism, really, um, where, you know, you steal from the rich 
to give to the poor, you know, Robin Hood and <laughs> all that kind of thing. But you're not really helping the poor. Um, you're just disadvantaging, and especially really, it's not really the rich they end up stealing from the middle class uh, by high taxation, but you're, you're destroying the structure of society and no one will be better out of it. I think that because now you know you hear stories of boy child amesaulika and boy child this and so now do we need affirmative action now to reverse it now, now and have now <laughs> you know and how long are we going to play this game? I think the best way is not to use legislation or laws to to redress cultural problems or um, uh, inconsistencies. And one of the best ways to understand this is when when I was looking at when, when America was founded, you had, um, was it Virginia and, and Georgia and some of the Southern states that, and Carolina, um, North Carolina, they, they, they had slaves and they had slavery in their books. And their, their economies were built on slaves as in some of those Southern states. Um, but the Northern states had, um, yeah, they didn't have slaves really. Um, you had, okay, they're called free states. And you had this situation where the founders were looking at this and saying, okay, fine. We want this country to be united because there's, there's, the only way we're going to survive is being united. Um, but some of these states are inconsistent with our declaration of independence. Why? Because, you know, with slavery, they're not all men are equal. <laughs> and, 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 and so, how do they solve it? Because some people mistakenly think that, um, you know, the, the American constitution is about slavery, et cetera, et cetera, that it preserved slavery. No, what they did is they made a compromise with the Southern states. And they said, okay, fine, what you're going to do is uh, we'll form a union. That is the most important thing right now. We'll form a union, we'll drop this constitution and all that. And then that, because that was the American revolution and that revolution, a revolution of ideas uh, that all men are created equal, will react upon the culture in the sense that they left the cultural issues to be dealt with by themselves. They knew that as time goes by, slavery will decrease and decrease. And even as more states join, uh, they'll be coming up as, as free states. And so, and, and that was, the situation for much of the time. Um, but then eventually it had to take a civil war and they, they would have had the civil war at the beginning, you know, <laughs> but they left it for future generations in wisdom uh, to culturally deal with that. So my, um, without talking for so long, my, my rebuttal is simple, is that um, I, any, anything that takes away from, like it's not those, those, those boys who are sitting for KCP, they're not the ones who did those past injustices, all right? You know, like blocking women from joining the workforce. What the government is there to do is they can set up a law and say, if you're a woman, okay, and you're applying for a job and there's evidence and it should be structured in such a way that there is evidence, you, you, you can get evidence on why you are rejected and if it is that you are rejected solely because you're a woman, then the courts are open for you and you have the state on your side. 
like you have the resources and the capabilities of the state on your side to prosecute that person who's rejecting you because you're a woman, discriminating on you because you're a woman. Instead of going to boys who are born, I don't know, 2010, I'm a holder. They, <laughs> you know, they didn't do these things, punishing them because, you know, some women before had some problems getting a job. So for me, that's the it is. Like government is there to preserve our rights, um, not really to change the culture. The culture should, should develop and evolve by, by itself. So uh, apart from all that preaching, um, what do you think? Because for me, I'm not really for affirmative action completely. It destroys the country. Okay. <laughs> Agree to disagree. I am not against affirmative action. My point remains it has to stop at some point. We can't keep favoring one gender of a, you know, the Robin Hood kind of situation. But I just feel when you say uh, you can go to court and the denier you're by your side and you have evidence, first of all, getting that evidence is hard. And second, yes, um, I think the fault is what you're saying. We try to solve culture using uh the law and the reason for that is one one um in our constitution we acknowledge that um, how do i put it ah one source of law is culture and cultural practices as long as they are not repugnant to justice so once we have cultural practices as a part of our constitution and we also have a section that says they are part of the law if they are not repugnant to justice. That means this has to be regulated. And that means they have to be regulated by what? By law. So I think that was the first mistake, having that as part of the law. And that means it has to be regulated by law. So now anything that is you know, a cultural issue tends to be solved with the law. And that is that is actually the whole gay argument, affirmative action, all these things, is it's the same problem, you know. And when you hear our president speak, he says, this is a cultural, if it's a society issue, not a, a legal issue. But we've already tried solving cultural issues with, with the law. So the um, LGBTQ community are like, this is not different. You've tried solving women, uh, past injustice on women with the law. Do the same for this issue. And I think it leaves um, a lacuna in law, which is really not a fun place to be because the moment you have a gap, anyone can interpret it in whatever way they deem fit. And that brings a lot of a lot of issues. But yeah, if you look at it, the moment we have given the government the power to, you know, make laws and govern us, we've surrendered our rights to them. That means they are allowed to regulate them as they please so if they uh, the makers of the law feel culture should be regulated by law it should be but it should be with certain limitations you know it should not just be absolute um yeah i think that's it we are not going to agree on this because you are clearly not for affirmative action i am for affirmative action <laughs> but hey agree to disagree <laughs> so okay uh we, we can do that at the end of the podcast, but for now, we can disagree until the end of the <laughs> Because that's the whole point of the podcast, to, to uh, like Dr. Luther said, let the heads clash, not the fists. Um, so you said something there that has, has, 
has made my alarm bells and my spidey uh, senses uh, go up. Um, you see, uh, you you mentioned that you know the, the government and the government has government by nature has monopoly over power, and 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 but that power has to be regulated um, uh, in such a way that, and not only by laws, but even just by the structure of the government itself, it should be regulative upon the government um, such that they just don't do whatever whatever they want. Um, my question to you on, on this whole issue is, uh, because like, and, and this is the problem I have with the Kenyan constitution. I, I told Calvin last week that it's good looking, it's not good. You know, it looks good. You know, it has it's so attractive. It has all these nice things from South Africa, Canada, wherever. But it's 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 not good. Why? Because it fails to um, do what constitutions are supposed to do: govern the government. And so, um, you know, uh, essentially, uh, okay. The main question is simple: What are our rights? Because once we answer that question, and where do they come from? Once we answer those questions, uh, we will be in a much, much better position to understanding what are the limits of government, why should government itself be limited? And then what happens next? Like, how do we deal with cultural inconsistencies to what we believe in and that we've placed in our constitution? So essentially, um, my solution, um, uh, because, and I keep on using this quote by, uh, what's his name? Um, okay, I forget his name, but he said uh, he said that, that, that culture is downstream from, uh, no, politics is downstream from culture. And what he means is that, of course, they're related, but they're two separate things. So you have, um, if, if there are certain things like, for example, FGM, okay? Uh, FGM, it was a cultural issue, right? But it had to be rectified by law. Why? Because it was a violation of the rights of these ladies, right? They had the right to choose, right? They, 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 it's called um, life, liberty, and property. And the way Bastiat calls life is person. Like, whatever happens to your person, okay? You have that right to choose. Um, and so, essentially... And, and and this is a bit why there's this argument for circumcising boys when they're in a age where they can decide. So let's say six to 12 years, or rather 12 is much, much better than six. But, you know, they should be circumcised, not very early, but in an age where they you can tell them, hey, this is what's happening. You know, this is our religion, et cetera, whatever it is, whatever the reason is, our culture or whatever, and then they can decide. So, um, so what was I saying? Oh yeah, our rights, like what are our rights? Once we define that, we'll be able to better understand because like FGM, it was a violation of the rights of these ladies. And so the government had to come in and set up laws to deal with that, um, to stop that cultural inconsistency. But now no one, no, no one has a right to a national school. Um, no one has a right to a political, uh, place. No one has a right to a job. Even if you're qualified, you don't have a right to it. Um, and essentially, um, government is adjudicating on things that are not really rights, you know, because 
if if you apply for a job in my in my company you say and i reject you um I, okay at the very least i can do is tell you why but i don't have to uh, maybe i just maybe i just don't like your your i don't know your ears your hair uh, your eyes maybe i just don't like you you know maybe you're you're very uh, loud or quiet i don't know for whatever reason i can decide not to have you on on because it's it's my property uh, the the business is my property and that's a fundamental right of mine i can do with it whatever i want um but it, it's like it's not your right you don't have a god given right to a job in my company <laughs> okay so and and this actually goes back to that discussion if you remember it earlier christian baking a cake and, and <laughs> yeah so um yeah so as in in a way i feel government needs to like we need to step back really and define what are the roles of government it is to secure rights so what are what are these rights life liberty and property okay everything else is secondary to that and everything else has to be adjudicated not in the court of of legislative actions but in the court of cultural wars you know like if women want more positions in power if that if that's the motivation let's say if they are having a hard time getting positions in power then they need to uh, launch a cultural campaign to change the hearts and minds of people it may take time the problem is people are lazy and they want things to come today so like they they should go out and 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 you know um, uh, sponsor uh, some of these uh, maria and some of these vipindi to embed their messaging in 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 some of the script writing you know to go out and and sponsor musicians who sing their messages um to go out and and come out with movies and like fight the cultural war you, you have um gender studies departments and all this to make use of all these weapons of culture so that we make sure that the next generation and possibly even this one uh will be looking at a ballot paper and they don't see gender they just see policies so for me it's much much better than putting out restrictions and saying no gender shall have more than two thirds because what if they vote majority women <laughs> what happens <laughs> I don't know okay what is well, okay you <laughs> those are some really valid points um when, when they vote majority women we also go back to that gender rule we want some men also <laughs> <laughs> you're shooting yourself in the foot i don't think you wanted i actually i actually get where you're coming from that will be now a whole new debate and you know we'll just never have a balance because yeah we will never strike a balance okay uh moving on to your question on rights i always consider myself as a a firm believer in the john locke theory but i pick some bits and pieces from hobbes <laughs> that laugh just shows me you're about to clash with me here and i am all for it <laughs> so okay bring the tackle um you know these two people uh they believe in the social contract theory right so we have the society and john locke puts it nicely when he talks about natural laws and natural rights so for him natural rights are just like you've mentioned life liberty 
and property. Those are the three fundamental uh, rights that every human has. And by virtue of them being natural rights, that means they, they apply across board to everyone. So that one brings an element of natural rights. And secondly, sorry, brings an element of, of equality. So because we all have these natural rights, by virtue of us being born and by virtue of us being human, we are all equal. So that was where he was coming from. We are all equal. And he also brings the social contract theory where as a society, we can't live in anarchy. No, not everyone can be king of himself or president of their own. You have to, we have to have an organized society. So for us to have an organized society, we surrender our rights to the government for them to do what? To offer protection to these specific rights. And I get you when you say sometimes the government tries to legislate on, you know, issues that are really not natural rights or issues that, let me just say, are non-entities. They are not that important and they can be handled by uh, culturally or socially, not necessarily legally. So I get you there. But if it stems from any of these three rights, then they should legislate on it. Why? Because that is their role. We have them there specifically for that role, to protect those three rights and any other right that uh, arises from the three. You know, let me say the three are like the mother rights. And then we have baby rights down here. <laughs> let me just put it that simply. And okay, when I look at these two theorists, John Locke also says, uh, when you surrender to the government, and that's actually really nice in our constitution, supremacy uh, of the people, right? Sovereignty of the people and the supremacy of the constitution. So one, we will have a society where the government protects our rights, but they are governed by the constitution. That is where constitutionalism comes in. And in as much as they are governed by uh, all these things, we as the people have the power to do what? To take that power away from them because we are the ones who put the government there and we can change that, which is, I think is really good on paper, but in Kenya, our democracy is really not advanced. So practically it's a flop. And I think that was also the vision in the American constitution while they were drafting it. They picked a lot from Locke and Hobbes. So when it comes to the Kenyan context, I feel we have an active government that we elect, Cindy and by virtue of us electing them, we give them the power and surrender our rights for them to protect. And therefore, they are supposed to legislate on any issue regarding these rights. It's, it's important we acknowledge that there are rights that they do not necessarily, are not necessarily these three rights, but they are vital. You know, they are vital. Uh, so as such, the government should legislate on that because what you're saying, one, and this is where I think you might be contradicting yourself, John. When you tell me FGM, you know, it was necessary for them to legislate on that because it was a violation of rights. You can't, uh, you can't also come and say there has to be consistency, yet you're saying this cultural practice has to be regulated by law, while this other cultural practice should not be regulated by law. You see, for me, for me, it doesn't make sense. If we're going to regulate culture by law, and that, that is a really tricky place to be. If we're going to say we want to regulate culture by law, then let us just regulate it by law, whether it comes to FGM, whether it comes to um, 
past injustices, whatever it is, let's regulate it by law. And if we don't want it regulated by law, let's also say, we leave this unto you people. If you want to a GM, you do it, you know. But I think um, the most important aspect for me here comes down to just what I said, natural rights. And also one element I'm forgetting, free will, which is which is important for any government to run. We have to put you there by our own will. You know, you can't force yourself on that seat like I see some African presidents do. Uh, so, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So we have to we have to look at so many aspects for us to come to a point of saying that some aspects of our lives should not be regulated by law and others should. I think that's a dangerous place to be because I can also wake up and say. I also don't want this aspect of my culture as a law to be regulated by law. And there's nothing you can do. And trust me, it will get chaotic. So this is why I now agree with Hobbes. Once we've given the government power, let the government be the government and just do them. You know, and we agree with whatever outcome. I know it's a dangerous statement to make, but I, I said it and I can't take it back. <laughs> Aye, yeah, 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 yeah. Aye, okay. All right. So, <laughs> so okay. Let me just address one thing and then also point out one of the inconsistencies. Um, you know, you, uh, you, you, you've mentioned that I'm inconsistent because I've said government can regulate on this cultural problem, but not on this one. But you're forgetting that the the distinction is that this cultural problem is violating the fundamental rights those natural rights of some people so the point is the government is there to secure those rights those fundamental rights and so whatever violates it needs to be uh, addressed by law and so this is why fgm which was a violation of fundamental right um had to be regulated out of the culture but positions in power is not a violation of fundamental rights. Um, getting a chance to go to a national school as a, as a girl is not a fundamental right. That is just some other form of right. Um, you see, it's kind of like this. I think, um, I don't know if it's Madison, whoever who said, um, I'm, okay, I'm forgetting who said this, but uh, some, some great man said <laughs> he said that um you know a, fun, a fundamental right um is like we have to define it what is a fundamental right it is that thing that power and privilege that right which we can all we can all of us hold and exercise at the same time without violating uh, the rights of another and also it's not something that is co it's it's not a commodity. It's not something that can be traded. For example, um, uh, I don't have a right to an iPhone. For example, okay. So essentially, that fundamental right, me and you, a boy and a girl, can exercise it at the same time. So if if per se we say that okay, um, you know, because of past injustices, you have a right to to a better to a better chance to, to enter a, a, a national school than I do, 
then it's a contradiction in itself because if you have that right, then I also have that right. But we can't both exercise it at the same time because you exercising it will be to my de detriment. They'll take marks out of mine and I'll add it to you as something like that. So essentially it's, it's kind of like that, like a fundamental right is a thing that all human beings can exercise at the same time without violating the right of another. Now, the, um, I think the, the, the American founders condensed it into, into three, three words that are very broad and can, can encompass many things. But the life, liberty, and, and pursuit of happiness is what Bastet calls property. Um, and, and essentially, um, that's that, like for me, that, that's what I meant. Like um, when there's a cultural issue, uh, we have to look and ask, okay, is it violating a fundamental right? Because the moment you give government power, it has a monopoly on power, which means it has a monopoly on violence. And these are human beings. They are not angels. I think it's uh, Tom Jefferson who said um, that uh, men need to be governed be, uh, because they are not angels. Um, but, you know, um, okay, how did he say it? Oh yeah, he said men need to be governed because they're not angels. Uh, but angels don't govern men. So, <laughs> so you, you need those restraints on, on yeah, <laughs> you need those restraints. You, you can't just give it unlimited power. And this is where I'm getting to your contradiction because you're saying that, uh, you've said that, you know, uh, following the Hobbesian uh, theory, the government needs, um, uh, we need to choose the government, right? But, but after that, then government needs to legislate on our behalf um, tyranny comes in, in various forms. It's not merely a king or, um, you know, or a, or a dictator or something, but even a government freely chosen, like in, in Athens, you had democracy, but it was a tyranny because they got together and voted to kill Socrates. So at the end of the day, they were violating his fundamental rights, even though they are doing it democratically. Okay. So essentially that was tyranny of the majority. Um, because they didn't like him for whatever reason. So essentially, um, what I'm afraid is uh, if we choose government and we leave it with unlimited power to legislate on our behalf, or let's say we leave it with that blank check to say, okay, fine, um, we've chosen you, that's the important part. Now legislate on our behalf on this and this issue, then what is it to you if that president legislates and if he, be, if he believes it's in the public interest to say, let me be president for life? What's the difference? <laughs> Allow me to interject. Okay. <laughs> First, uh, let me just address something quickly, something you've said uh, about past injustices and cultural issues. Let, just look at it from my angle. I'm not saying you agree with it, but just look at it from this angle. Uh, we have we have a fundamental rule, which I have categorically stated, that we have these three natural rights. And you, by virtue of being a human, and me, by virtue of being a human, we all have these rights, right? So it brings an element of equality. So do you agree that by virtue of these rights, we are equal? Yes. So by virtue of these rights, if we are equal, why then will I receive bad treatment or will I be, tre be treated unfairly? And then when now they want to correct that unfairness, you are against it. 
Can I answer that just very quickly? Yes. The, the question is, who is meeting out the injustice? Is it the government, is it the law, or is it, or is it the, the prejudices within the hearts of men? Because that, that, that will inform how the, the remedy should be. You see, like, for example, uh, with the Jim Crow legislations, it was, it was discrimination by law, right? And so how was it to be corrected? A Civil Rights Act that would reaffirm the fundamental rights of Black people. But then the problem with the civil rights is that beyond that, it started putting out affirmative action. So now you have a situation where now the fundamental rights of white people are being violated in a perceived sense, the way Thomas Sowell calls it. I don't know if you know Thomas Sowell, uh, an economist and um, a really great philosopher. He's a black guy. He's been around for a long time. I think he's 80 something years now or 90. Um, yeah, imagine. He, he said that uh, he calls it cosmic justice. These people have a view of cosmic justice. And they, essentially, why, why would they now start setting up affirmative action that now you need uh, you know, two black people in your board of directors or something like that? While, because it violates free will. You know, this, this uh, maybe you don't like them because because they 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 are um, um, I don't know maybe they have other traits that are wrong and this is the thing Martin Luther was saying that you should not be judged by your color, but by the content of your character, right? So why why are uh, why are we holding the white people according to the Civil Rights Act? Why are we holding white people to a different standard than that? Why shouldn't we also judge white people not according to their color? but the content of their character. So this is the contradiction with affirmative action. It's that it destroys the very thing it wants to help because soon enough, you're going to have now white people disadvantaged. It's like the boy and girl thing. Now it's boy in crisis. So now we need affirmative action for boys. In 30 years, we need affirmative action for girls again, and it's a seesaw. So for me, the question is very simple. Like what are fundamental rights? If if and government is there to secure those fundamental rights, that's that. But if there's anything cultural or not that treads on fundamental rights, it does and uh, it has to be redressed by law. And also, if there's a violation by law, then it has to be redressed by law and nothing else. So there's in my mind, there's no place for affirmative action. You should leave. You should make the the, the playing field fair. Um, um, let's say, because uh, I know that there's, with the way the courts are right now, and this is where I think we'll get to this, is the form of government that Kenya has, um, is is designed in, I don't even think it's designed. It's, <laughs> oh, pardon my name, but I, 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 you know, I, I'm, I'm very, uh, on Facebook, I was making a lot of noise about the constitution, and I was, I was, I was, I was calling it a toilet paper because everyone treats it like toilet paper um, <laughs> because it's good looking, but um, it's, it's a bit worse than the previous one because it gives you the sense of uh, like you think you have something good, but in reality, like just look, just look at, and, and this is part of the conversation we had with Calvin also, just look at the corruption that is going on in Kenya right now. It's worse than in Moe's time. 
Now, obviously, we can't wholly blame the law, but the primary blame, I believe, should go to any law that enables that to happen. Because the law should be designed in such a way that it's virtually impossible for you to do anything like that. Such that you don't, because you'll always have good men and bad men who are vying for power. And again, if someone is good, you don't know if they're really good. They can wake up tomorrow and become bad. You don't know. Human beings are prone to change more than laws. So, uh, so you need a system of government or a law. Okay, I'm, I'm getting into that before I, I need to. But anyway, all I was saying was, <laughs> was we need we need to. I don't know. Okay, fine. We we can disagree. We can agree to disagree. But at least now I know what you think, and you know what I think. That at the end of the day, um, we need a, a system where government is limited because government is so powerful and it's designed to be powerful. It should be powerful because it's securing our rights. So it needs that monopoly on power and violence. And so, um, but it should be limited uh, in that it's limited by, by what Solon now designed as the constitution for Athens, but they rejected it. Uh, that, that piece of document, that constitution, that says you can only legislate on fundamental rights. When when government starts telling us about culture and all that, what if what that does is those cultural groups that are fighting the cultural war start vying for power, and then you have a situation where um, the power is now an instrument uh, to change society. So everyone who has a vision on society will vie for power to implement their vision. Instead of leaving uh, that vision to naturally play out, it's a bit like uh, cap cap capitalism, where the market is the only force that is there. You know, you don't have someone intervening. So you just let it be. If people like iPhones more than Android, then let them go for that. And then the more that they go for that, the price, uh, the, the price will go up, right? Yeah, but in order, I think eventually it has to uh, reach a, a place where all of them can afford it because you don't want to lose customers. So it, the, the price will will reach an optimal place where it's making profit for the for the manufacturer, but also it's being made available for everyone else. So like, just let things play out in the cultural space because once people start vying for power, we it's women this time. Next time it will be men, and then next time it will be gays. And then who knows where it goes, trans, transport, I don't know what else, uh, Wachawi, you know, night runners, and like you don't know where it's going to go. Anyway, I've stopped preaching. You know, I'm a preacher, so. <laughs> so let, let, let me say, go into something else. Um, what? <clears throat> so, okay, you, you mentioned the sovereignty of the people and all that. My, I with with the things I'm writing and even my book, uh, which has taken four years to come out, really, um, is is I'm I'm trying to because I remember I read um, Hobbes, I, I read Leviathan, it's a huge book, but but I think it's so immersive you even forget about the size because uh, every page has just content and content and content, and it's beautiful. So and. And um, so my, my argument is really, I'm trying to improve upon 
um, you know, these views about law um, and, and, and also at the same time, um, I want to show that, you know, all of these things, they actually stem from the Bible uh, in this way that, you know, man is only coping God and, and whether he knows it or not, because I think it's Romans 13 that says um, all, all power is from, 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 from God. So the powers that be, they are ordained by God. And, and what Paul means is that the idea of government comes from God. So, uh, and this is a bit where you can crucify me with your learnedness, um, <laughs> but uh, as, as a layman, I'll do law later, but not now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I will. So uh, as a layman for now, uh, my, my view is that uh, we have to, because you, you look at Locke, you look at Hobbes, um, they are using hypotheticals when talking about the origin of law, um, you know, social contract. Obviously, people didn't uh, sit down and write it out. It's, 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 a, it's a hypothetical of how things have played out, but you need the element of history, and I believe also etymology, which is the study of origin of words, to, to properly decipher now how did we get where we are in terms of the ideas of men. So the book is called Thought, Thought, and, uh, freedom, thought and its Freedom. Um, so essentially a play on freedom of thought, but now focuses on thought and its origin and all that. Um, and, and my view is very simple. I, I want to hear your views on, on, on my view. Uh, my view is very simple that uh, obviously when you follow out the sacred history as, as it's written out in, in the Bible, and it's validated by classical Greek, um, Egyptian, Sumerian uh, uh, history, you know, like I can give you an example. Let's say um, you have, um, just very quickly, you have someone in the, in the Greek mythology, um, you have Hermes, uh, in, in, in Roman mythology, he's Mercury, the god Mercury. Uh, Hermes, um, it comes, it's, 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 it's two, two words, uh, ha and mes, right? Uh, Hermes, and Hermes, mes, means son of. So you have, uh, you have who? You have Ramses, right? In Egypt, Ramses, son of Ra, Rames. So that's his name, Rames, uh, son of, son of Ra. So mes means son. Um, and, and so Hamis means son of Ha, and Ha in, in Babylonian is Hem and Ham, which simply means the burnt one, the one who had a darker skin. And it's the Babylonian form of Ham, the son of Noah, right? So Hamis is the son of Ham, and, and the son of Ham was uh, ah. My Bible is running away from my mind. <laughs> Who was the son of Ham? Kush, yes. Kush, the father of the Kushites and the Hindus. Right? So, so, and that's using etymology now to validate the scriptural record because Hamis is the one who, in the Greek mythologies, is responsible for the Tower of Babel. And that means Kush was actually the one who built it. And then afterwards, his son, Nimrod, 
uh, took over the kingdom and things. So like there's a history of how men try to form, formulate government beside God, outside of God. Um, and, and I try to follow that history to show that not using hypotheticals like Locke and Hobbes, but really using the facts of history and, and etymology to show that um, this has been a journey in, in how men think. And at the end of the day, it comes full circle because all we are trying to do, like the best form of government has been the American form, a constitution that has lasted 200 years. There's never, okay, the Roman one lasted 400 years. So, <laughs> but it was, they are similar by the way in nature, but essentially you have a, you have a situation where um, men have reached a point where, you know, they, they are just coping God. Yeah. And, and, and that's where we have to be as Kenya. If you're going to set up a constitution, we have to very intelligently copy God, you know, in a, in a way that respects the rights and freedom of every individual. So I've spoken, tell me, am I, am I wrong to challenge those guys? Kenya Hobbes? No, you are not. And man, I am, I am interested in reading this book. Hey, okay. Challenging Kina Hobbes. That's hey, wait. That's like me going to tackle Big Show from, from wrestling, if you watch wrestling. <laughs> but, okay, that's, that's an interesting thought, and I, I, I want to read that book. Um, so my thought on this, uh, yes, we copy God. Because in as much as most states, if you look at most constitutions, uh, most countries consider themselves secular states, right? Except maybe for Middle East states who openly admit that they are Islam states. And But yeah, most states that even say they're secular states, their constitution and their laws have an element of natural law. And from the discussion we had the other time, which I left pending, you know, natural law is basically law from higher being, law that we can't really explain. It's not man-made. So it has to come from a place higher than human mind or human thought or so in essence let's just say they take from religion in some way if you look at um how governments run versus how god also deals with his people and his church and the people of israel you i i find some similarities in that there is one element that stands out and that is free will uh, when you look at our constitutions, we have to, yeah, the government governs us, but we give them that power, just like we said earlier. So in essence, we let them, we let them run. And there was this time I was having a debate on my on my WhatsApp status. Sometimes, uh, you know, just, I, I like to call them thoughts in traffic because Rongai traffic is crazy. So I tend to read most of the interesting things I have ever read while I'm on traffic, actually. And I was reading some argument on when we have bad leaders or we have a failed state, I'm not saying Kenya is a failed state, or when we have, you know, things just going wrong in the country, who do we blame? Do we blame it on the government or do we blame it on the constitution? And I am a firm believer of blaming the constitution because if we have a constitution that seals all the loopholes, a constitution that strengthens every institution therein to ensure that, one, there is no corruption, if you're corrupt, we refer back to the constitution. You get prosecuted. Actually, it should be a criminal penalty uh, and there should be redress. Uh, if you do this, 
um, there are certain repercussions, then we will have the government actually take this document seriously. But just like you said, it's a piece of toilet paper. I, I might be crucified for this considering I'm a lawyer. <laughs> but yes, uh, we should have a constitution that is strong, is sovereign, and it strengthens the institutions that are formed within that constitution. And that will actually translate to good leadership because they will do, they will not have these many, many loopholes that they have to do all that they please in government. Uh, let me now refer back to what I was saying about God's government. I like saying it. I like saying God's government. You won't understand, but sour. God's government. <laughs> no, okay. So when you look at God's government, eh, like his establishment, it's established on free will, such that God will not do anything in your life. God will not act in your life or God will not be present in your life if you do not let him be there. And there are certain guidelines for him to actually be there. You know, just like the social contract theory where we give the government our rights, there has to be certain things that you follow in order for, for God to act in your life. And I like to refer to, I think it's First Samuel chapter 8 or chapter 9, I'm not quite sure. I think it's chapter 8, where the Israelites started demanding for a king. And you find that at that point, God was leading them. And, you know, when Hawakwana Jiskia, God Hawakwana force. You know, at now God is angry and all that. The one who got angry, in fact, was Moses. <laughs> so you look at God is really big on free will. And even from the inception of the earth, and when we have Adam and Eve, God let them stay in the Garden of Eden. And you realize God could have stopped Eve, as in literally when Nani was sacrificing this, was about to sacrifice the son, a ram just appeared there. Uh, God could have just come and held uh, Eve's hand and said, don't take that fruit. But no, there is power of choice. You want to eat the fruit? I said no, but you want to eat it? Fine, go ahead. So God is huge on free will. It's how we use it that matters. And when you look at the book of Samuel, when the Israelites start demanding for a king, God is like, okay, I thought we had a good system that was working, but since you feel it is no longer working for us, I like, I like putting biblical conversations and having them in my mind like I'm, I'm in that situation and translating it into my own way so you know god is here saying okay you feel this system that we have does not no longer works for you it's fine i will give you what you want you want a king it's okay and god gave them a king that he saw fit for their for their needs at that point because they were big on battle and conquering grounds so god gave them a leader for that specific purpose and even those leaders they were not just leading a team blindly because now they have power it's total autonomy no at the end of the day they used to uh let me say let me call them barazas i don't think they are called barazas but they used to get counsel they wouldn't just act out of their own will so the important thing is always free will and the moment the government or someone in power tries to um, tries to take that away from the people, then there's something taken away from us which is not right. And that is something I see most governments do. 
free will in essence in in the modern society is expressed by democracy and the moment we have democracy and good policies that actually govern that then you can actually say we have free will but you see like for example when we had president Moi in power we have a constitution yes he's supposed to go for how long 10 years maximum that is two terms of five years each but this guy just decides no me i won't go for 10 me i will go for as many years as i want and he actually goes on for more than two decades and you look at it it's like is it that the people lost their free will like we could no longer go and vote or is it the problem of the system and it was a problem with the system such that it did not enable the exercising of free will yes we have it on paper we have it but does the constitution enable it or does the constitution fail us at this point and yeah i think that was the biggest fault at that time so the moment we have really good laws and legislation that is just sober not people you know not these people make legis legislation just because they feel and if you look at it i've actually when you look at parliamentarians nothing against them but you know they're supposed to like they're allowed to bring laws for nini for debating in parliament and things like that people actually bring laws just because they don't want to be seen like they didn't do anything while they were serving you know yeah nataka anataka clout isemekane uh nani gladys wanga okay I did not mention names brought this certain law and it was so she did something for she did something for okay her law is good the, the law that she brought she tabled parliament is really good on maternal nini ma, nini anyto, nini maternity health care so when you look at it they come up with these laws not because there's a need for that law but why do they come up with it because um they want to be seen like they did something if you go back to countries like america things are legislated on best on their need we had jim crow laws and they were really infringing on the rights of black people that is why we had a legislation and amendments to ensure that the rights of black people are actually uh, are taken into consideration in kenya we don't do that anymore you know if we decide to do it on a need basis we see okay affirmative action is now not working what do we do let's have a, uh, a law that gives women the power not only to to in order to correct that past injustice let's have a law that allows women to be apply for whatever position in power they want to apply for whatever job they want to and in the event that they're discriminated on then what you are saying we can have the case in court if we have such clear and strategic laws i can be able to solve so many things that we will not be having all these bickering we have right now or referendum after referendum as in it's it, it's just a waste of money and a waste of our time as kenyans he's definitely a good guy um but when he got into that system um he was unable to pretty much do anything so at the end of the day it's not about having good people in power um yes we need good people but that is not how you accomplish the nini you need to design a system in which like the system itself is designed to as as uh was it john adams who said that uh to 
to control our passions, uh, but the system is 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 controlled by our reason. So you have our reason, the reason of the people controlling the system, but the system controlling the passions of the people. Um, so essentially, you have a situation where it brings out the better natures of us when it comes now to legislation and governance and ruling. So in a way, and, and this is a bit of um, the problem, like you mentioned about Moi, um, you have a situation where, uh, you know, Moi, he, he would wake up tomorrow and say, okay, I want five more years, right? And that's a conflict because you have, you, you're supposed to have the sovereignty and power separated. Like the people are sovereign, yes, but they don't exercise the power. They have representatives to exercise the power on their behalf. Because if the people exercise, if the sovereign, if the sovereign and the power is together, you have mob rule in the case of many, and then you have dictatorship in the case of one. So essentially, the theory is you need you need that separation first of all. So the people are sovereign, yes. They decide the government, they decide how who gets into, into those positions, but they don't actually exercise the power. And then you you you're supposed to design um a situation where uh the way that power is exercised is is you have to separate it. Um, uh, it has to be separate, at least on the national level. And I want to hear your thoughts on this. It has to be separated. Um, and I told this to Calvin Akakata, but I still stand by it and made equal. So in my view, the executive, the legislature, and the judiciary should be equal, completely equal. The way Kenya operates, because if they are not equal, then you still have the formation of a tyranny. Like, it's kind of like this. Um, you know, if, if the executive is more powerful than the other two, it's a concentration of power on one. So the, their separation means nothing. Okay, but, but if they are equal, then their separation is made substantial, such that now the president has to ask parliament for permission to use the army right he has to he can't just do things like that uh the problem also with kenya is the structure itself because kenya the other day and i think i don't know if i mentioned this to you uh you have um uh police power you you have a situation where um the uh, let's talk about the police themselves. The police is a national police that is answerable to a sitting member of the cabinet, to the executive. So, and for the, for the, the way we know Kenya, it operates like the private militia of, of one man, whoever occupies the executive. Um, the other day, senator, there's, there's a senator who was crying because he said his life is in danger. You, you have to wonder, what will make someone like that cry? Like, it must be serious. Uh, or let's say the other day, senators who are rejecting the one-man, one-shilling one rule 
on yeah <laughs> they were being deported to their home counties by police so and the question i was asking calvin which which i'll present to you because for me it's not enough simply to have good men in power um the question i was asking him was do you think trump is capable of doing that the question is here the answer is yes he is capable but do you think he has the machinery the tools to deport nancy pelosi to california because she tried to impeach him of course not why because the structure there is such that first of all the police don't answer to the uh, president and the police are federated so every state and county have their own police forces and then you have the overall um investigator of police the fbi is not answerable to the executive it's a, it's a part of the department of justice the judiciary so at the end of the day you have a situation where of course the president chooses the head of the fbi but the head of the fbi is just a bureaucratic guy it's not really the the people who make the decisions so you 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 have a, a system where um the, the 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 greatest danger for tyranny which usually comes from the executive is toothless and it's designed like the, it's by design you know but in kenya you know ukitusi mama wa president you're arrested how is that what lord was that you know like what do you mean is that in the constitution or is it to see mama because it says freedom of speech in the constitution okay so tell me what do you think i think we are coming to a close i also want you to share with me ideas on how to make Yoko kenya see mama president that's how you know equality is a fallacy in kenya <laughs> <laughs> Try to see mama yangu, it is okay. Lakini watu ingine, just try. Anyway, there's an interesting point you've said. Um, all the three arms of government should be equal, right? <laughs> That's, it's fun to think of, but it's never going to happen. <laughs> it's fun to think of and talk about it. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I like to consider myself a realist. Okay, look at it. We have a system where uh, the president takes it all, right? So in our heads, yes, we have three arms of government which are equal and just have their checks and balances role. But is Ninia presidency, we've put it so high that no one cares. Okay, executive, the, we have the president, legislature, we have the, the speaker of the assembly, right? And then the judiciary, we have the chief justice. Do you see so much hype when people are selecting the speaker and the chief justice as, the, as much as the hype we always have when you're selecting the president? If all these three were equal, Raila Sayangekwa Machana, presidency Angekwa speaker. But boohoo, they're not. Like, <laughs> it's. Let me say the disparity comes in. One, the president is a appointed by is elected by the people right the other two are appointed by virtue of them having separate entries into power that just shows you they can't have the same amount of power and that is maybe that is where we go wrong we've given the executive so much power 
that he feels entitled as in we've given the executive so much power mpaka that's why the president feels comfortable making a statement like at the judiciary wanasema turudi elections we will revisit we will revisit and you know <laughs> can do budget cuts we have given so much power and that is where where you know sometimes the law is not everything because according to the law they're equal right they're equal on paper and there's something my lecturer used to like saying what the law is versus what it ought to be what it ought to be is you know that utopian society we all dream of huh that society where they are equal and they all do their functions smoothly but what is is the reality which is these three are not the same and they can never be the same um another thing that brings a disparity is the role we have one that makes laws we have one that interprets these laws and we have one that actually enforces typically whoever has more power is the one who enforces because as much as interpreter can say this is what it says when in case there's an ambiguity the enforcer can actually say well i interpreted it in this way if the interpretation has not been done prior that is why you find things like police brutality things that you know they happen and we really can't do anything because it's like the police have been given that that power to hurt us or to harm us and we we have normalized it so the moment we have and like i said it's not a legal problem i think these are things that are just mental states the same way you've said about to change their mentality it's the same thing as kenyans ask any kenyan out here just some random people the seat they value most is the president's seat because in their heads the hype that happens during election has made them believe that that is the most important seat and it technically is if that president is the one who is going to appoint the chief justice then how can you tell me it's not an important seat this is someone appointing the leader of an entire arm of government. So, just like I said, equality in Kenya. Let me just stop you there. Yes. <laughs> As in, then isn't that an issue with, isn't that a structural issue? Because if, if, if we, we have to ask ourselves the question, where, where's the importance? Obviously, there is a, uh, Kenyans, yes, they, they view the presidency as uh, the most powerful arm. But there's a reason why it's not because that they view it as the most powerful arm that it becomes the most powerful arm. It's because the structure of, of the form, yani the structure of the form of the government itself, you know, accentuates the, the power of the executive. Like I've just given an, an example. The police should not be at the beck and call of the executive. They should not sit at the cabinet. They should not be ministry of security and whatever. Uh, my and and you know um, at the end of it all, after the four weeks, uh, I'll bring all of all, all of you together. We talk about this, but I I have some some very serious structural changes because now in 2020 um, we have the benefit of of seeing how the American Revolution has played out um, and how those ideas have developed and how they've been fixing themselves and also the problems that were there. Because back in those days, obviously, 
like the idea of, of how to do a republic, the first one was America in modern times. So everybody else, Kenya, Uganda, wherever, whether they are violations or not, they are just copying America, essentially. So even the idea of three arms of government, nininini, um, the first the first time it it appears, the Romans had, um, uh, and this is a very, and I, I read about this, it's amazing how they, and this is 400 years before Christ. I, my grandfather, your grandfather was still, um, hunters and gatherers probably at that time <laughs> you know but they had been but the romans had reached to a, a cultural sophistication um i don't want to get lost but let me let me just say that quickly to a point where um so what the romans did they they, they looked at greece so greece you had two models you had athens and sparta uh sparta had two kings at any one time um and it was a constitutional monarch um and it was also a republic because you had a representative government, you had a Senate, but the, the Senate, you only had uh, property owners. And by that, I mean land owners uh, who could vote. Now women could own property, but they couldn't vote. But the, the thing is, they, they, they were compensated in the, in, the, in the sense that they ended up owning the richest people in Sparta were women. <laughs> That's how it went. And, and they had most of the lands and most of the slaves. So they, they were economically empowered and compensated, but uh, politically disenfranchised, um, which is a bit weird. But anyway, that's what happened uh, in Sparta. And it worked. The reason why Sparta survived uh, you know, problems more than Athens is because Athens was a direct democracy. So anyone, whether you own land or not, anyone could vote. And then also anyone could enter parliament. <laughs> so the number of parliament or the senate, okay, the, the number of senators could vary. You know, if, if let's say this year 100 people stood for office and, and you are voted in, then it would be 100 people. If next day it was 200 people, 200 people. So at the end of the day, uh, I could vote for myself and become a senator. So it was, <laughs> it was crazy. It was chaos. And so what the Romans did, they, they looked at Athens and they said, okay, this looks like chaos. We don't want that, but we like the idea. Um, what the Spartans did, they implemented uh, what Solon was, uh, was uh, uh, an Athenian uh, statesman who was trying to say, okay, fine, we don't, what we don't need, like he was trying to form a constitutional republic in Athens, but they rejected him. So um, so what the Romans did, they took the best of, of both systems. And in, 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 in Rome, you had two presidents at any one time. They were called consuls. So Caesar was a consul, Pompey, all those guys. Um, and they ruled only for one year, imagine. And after one year, you don't serve in any public office for five years. You can imagine that system. So yeah, there was a large turnover at the very highest levels. And what it did was it made, instead of, of, of making people at the center of, of political life, because by nature, human beings are, are political creatures, um, because we have the gift of speech and we 
we have to exercise that speech in discussions and debate. So um, instead of making people at the center of the politics in Rome, it made issues the center of politics because you had such a high turnover of people that all you could do in order uh, is to join one of the factions, which was like the political parties. And they, they, were, they, they were divided according to issues. So you had um, the populares, the populists like Caesar, uh, who wanted uh, more uh, like a welfare state. They wanted people to gain access to, like the poorer masses to gain access to credit and all these things, et cetera, et cetera. So it goes on like that. So like, um, I'm, I'm sorry, I've gone out of my, my name. But in Kenya, the reason why we have people and not issues at the center of politics is because of the structure of the, of the of the government itself, the form, the way it is, it's not designed um, to bring out those good natures. And my argumentation is, for example, I've told you about police, being national police, uh, answering to the president, and and how uh, even like the, the reason why the current president can be so, um, <clears throat> let's say disrespectful to the judiciary um, is because the system enable, enables him to, you know, because he knows uh, at the end of the day, he's the one with the real power. But if you design a system in such that, um, let's say um, the, the, the president, obviously, yes, but you, you trim down his powers to, to the point where everything is delegated to the counties, except national defense and trade, which is diplomacy then the president simply becomes an ideological figurehead. So he is someone who, if you believe in, in let's say, uh, an idea of greater intervention outside greater cooperation, or you want to close up Kenya, Kenya uh, Pekeake, whatever it is, that's what you're voting for and you're voting for the president. But if you believe in, like, it should be, designed in such a way that even like the judiciary itself, and this is where I've never said, I've never said this to anyone. Um, okay, so the judiciary in my view, I, I know you want to, <laughs> you know, people don't like change. <laughs> the judiciary in my view should be the philosophical hub the, the philosophical heart of the country in this way that it should be designed in such a way that um, you have all the like like it absorbs the cultural fight and then because it's about uh, it's about interpreting the laws and right so you need uh, a system of representation in the Nini, because I, I know in, in US they, they vote for their, they're called district attorneys. So um, like they are parliamentarians, their constituents are called uh, districts. So every district has, I believe every, every district has uh, like a prosecutor or something, a district attorney. So they, and they vote for that position. It's, it's a position out for vote. So we need to introduce some form of representation in the judiciary. And then we design it to be factionalized 
not really like political parties, but political parties is the idea, factionalized according to philosophies and ideas. So that if someone like you have, let's say the feminist faction, and then you have, and then they vie uh, through representation, they vie for the interpretation of the laws so that we, we also have an expression of the cultural bent of the people so that we don't ever have to get to a situation where we are we're putting up two thirds of, you know, so tell me, tell me, kill me, please. As we come to okay. our no, I'm actually not going to. I'm not going to kill you. <laughs> There's just um, I I beg to differ with you on a certain point. Um, you've said uh, um, what was it again? The power the president has, and the president feeling like he has all the power, is because of structures. Well, when you look at made and things like that. Here is why I was saying, for me, it's not really a structural or legal issue. It's more of a social issue such that as the poor, we have it. We have just, uh, we believe that the president has more power than the president of the, than the leader of the judiciary or the leader of the legislature. And because we have put it in our heads that that's it, at our naminio. Uh, when you look at, let me say, let me bring you now to positive law. This is, they're simply man-made. So Nile, we sit down and we are like, okay, this is wrong, this is right. There are certain legal issues and we want to handle them this way. We want to resolve civil disputes this way. We want to maintain order in the society and therefore we enact these laws. The moment people come together and up, you see how, but let me explain regarding with, uh, looking at the constitution, you see how the new constitution was passed. Uh, we had the Machungwa and the, it was Machungwa and Dizzy, right? Yes and no. Yes. So again, it is, it is supposed to be our decision, right? I'm supposed to go there and say yes or no. But because we have made, we have it in our head, we adore our leaders so much that when Raila comes and tells you, people, let, let's vote no. We actually go and do what? Vote no. Not because we're exercising our free will, but because we are following someone. And that is just an idea in our head. So the moment we get rid of this idea and actually start having an idea that these three are equal, and honestly, as Kenyans, we start considering them as equal, then we can actually have legislation. Then we can actually have the structural change. Because I feel as it is now in the constitution, they are equal like the constitution has put put it out that there are three arms of government so that means these three arms are supposed to work together and the government is not the president uhuru and 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 the ruto the government is these three arms coming together to form the government but the constitution has put it like that but as kenyans we believe nini the government is uh state house uhuru and and his deputy so i feel like the moment i'm not saying you're wrong yes there needs to be structural change please don't attack me right now but the moment we take it out of our heads that that this presidency is not as is not such a big deal as people think about it then 
we will actually have the change we are looking for. But the moment we keep living in that space where we feel the presidency is the head of the government and the government is just the executive, then really they will just ride on that. They will ride on our naivety and they will prey on that and they actually win. So that's it. It's just, it's psychological. It's not, it's not structural. I, I, I don't know. I, how to... I, I really, I'm not even, I'm, I'm begging and begging to differ, completely begging. <laughs> you know, okay, you know, like, um, we, we have to stick with what I'd call reality. Um, and yes, it's needed that, that the minds, the hearts and minds of people should change. And I, I feel this is a bit the same argument as, you know, we need good people in government. It's because you're putting, we all know the chicken came before the, the egg, right? Um, because God created the, the chicken and not the, the egg. <laughs> so, but it's, it's, it's a bit circular because um, you, you have a situation where, you know, if, if we wait for, for, for Kenyans to out of nowhere change their mind, it will never happen. Um, the best way to educate them, and it's to educate them so that they, their minds can change, um, the best way is to educate them, and the best way to educate them is to actually teach, preach, and formulate those, and, and um, give flesh to those principles that we're talking about through the structure. Like, let me, I think I'll, I'll do it in a midweek blog. I'll, I'll, I'll try to do it in a midweek blog to, to try and explain the importance of structure is because um, the, it's not merely about, you know, having good ideas and, and, and saying, okay, that they are equal. Because the issue is, are they equal only because the constitution says so? No, you have to formulate a structure to make them equal. Like the structure itself should be designed in such a way that those checks and balances are very real, such that even if someone is impetuous or someone has no control over themselves and is in, let's say, a position of power is in the executive, for example, there's nothing he can do to destroy that balance, to actually appear or even act uh, more powerful than any of, any of the other two arms. So the structure itself, for me, it's a structural issue. And and it's uh, once the structure is in place, then the minds of Kenyans will be, ah, okay, so they are truly equal. Why? Because the Supreme Court, let's say, uh, vetoed something the president was going to do. Okay. Or um, you see now, like, for example, when, when um, the elections were nullified, right? People are like, wow, and this is the first time, or is it the first time in Africa? The second time, I don't know. Like people are like, wow, Kenya, Kenya, why? Because the actual principles of equality were playing out, okay? Those checks and balances, at least in that instance, they did play out. And, and when the president comes out and says, he can come out and say whatever he wants, but he will revisit. But the, what is concerning to me is, the actual tools for him revisiting are there. And so for me, it's a structural issue um, where, where that we need to uh, not, not only have the right ideas, but um, like 
design the government on the principle of freedom of the individual. So, and once we do that, we will solve the problems of this country completely. Like, obviously, there's a spiritual bent. We need, um, I think, um, was it was it John Adams who said uh, that that um, okay, I forget who uh, who said that um, you know when, when they came out of the Constitution, um, the Constitutional Convention, uh, and there's a lady who asked him. It was John Adams. Um, the second president of US, um, he, and actually the first vice president, um, there's, a, there's a woman who asked him, sir, no, no, it was Benjamin Franklin, sorry. What have you given us? And he said, uh, a republic, mom, if you can keep it. And so the thing is, we need, like, obviously we need a, a religious or rather a virtuous people um, in order for this thing to work, yes. We need the right kind of hearts. We need good people in government, yes. But the central argument is I cannot, I, I, we cannot always be here to, to decide who is good to put in government. We cannot always decide to have good people in government. And even if we do put someone who is good, they can wake up tomorrow and become bad. But what we can do is design a system that is foolproof, that is that is 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 all about freedom, and then it's it's you have that separation and equality of powers, and then not only and this is radical, not only horizontally, but I argue also uh, vertically between the national government and the counties. And, and the MCAs and all the, the county assemblies. So, um, yeah, that's just my nini. Um, uh, I just like to make a statement and then I'll allow you to, to, um, to destroy me with facts for the last time. Um, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so my statement is simply this. Um, you and I are Adventists, right? And uh, we've been, we know all about this this thing about you know the prophecies of Bible. The um, for anyone who'd um, I'd, I'd refer them to my uh, email. Anyone who's listening, uh, you can send me an email. It's on it's on the podcast website. Uh, send me an email. I'll send you a link to the blogs I've been doing that describe that. Um, the 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 great story of 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 human history is. Revelation chapter 13, the beast, right? And the mark of the beast and all these things. And the, the more neglected part of that story is the second beast from verse 10, uh, which according to those prophetic studies, as you're going to see, uh, is pointing towards America. And for me, what this tells me is that whatever happened in 1776, the American Revolution, which is, a rev you know, people, they, they call it a war, but it was, it was less of a war and more of a revolution because it was these ideas being put out to the people. And then the people realizing, oh, you know, I am equal, I am equal uh, by birth. I am equal to the king of England, right? I mean, he, he, he has a lot of money and all that, and he was born in a golden carriage or whatever. But the fact is that me and him are equal. 
like that revolution of ideas, you know? Because imagine before then, people never used to think like that. Uh, I argue uh, back until the Roman times. So this equality, this thing about equality um, and how it plays out um, is fundamentally a biblical issue. And as Christians, if, if we're going to have people listen to us, um, I think we need to move beyond the traditional ways of talking to people. Um, and this is not for everyone. Uh, this is just for those who I think God has brought into that line of thinking and operation. Um, you didn't go to campus and do law just for, for what? Okay, I know you said you wanted to prove a point. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think that was the only thing. Um, I think th there's a reason why education and, and God drives us in those situations so that we are equipped to talk in a certain way um, and, and, and to present timeless truths that are in the gospel, very plainly in the gospel, but to present them to an audience that has become sophisticated um, and that needs to see that every good thing comes from God. Um, and one of those good things is how do you do government correctly? So for me, that's just my statement that, you know, um, this is not, even when I call the Constitution of Kenya toilet paper, I'm, I'm not being disingenuous. <laughs> I'm just trying to bring attention to the fact that, um, you know, we're also human beings and we've been given this gift by God. And yes, uh, prophecy is fulfilling and Christ is coming and all those things, but we need, we have the opportunity to display to the world what good government looks like, even before the actual good government comes from above. So that's my final statement. So tell me, um, do, you, do you have anything to say, um, anything to add, et cetera, et cetera? Um, not, really, not really much. I think I will also just give my parting shot. Remember we had said we we're going to do this for one hour, one hour 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> my parting shot would be when you look at uh, constitutionalism and the bible i like how you titled it when i was looking at it i'm like huh. i i think i had the first one the first the one you did previously and i was like this title is quite interesting like I've never thought about it that way until you start reading about it and you realize most states, if not all, have an element of some biblical aspects to it. And most of our laws do not just originate from, you know, positive law. We just decided we had a consensus that this should be like this. But there was something we were basing it on. And the moment we have, you know, there's, let me say that reference point. And I always like to say in our constitution, for example, when you look at the Bill of Rights in Kenya, that is uh, when you look at the Bill of Rights, it somehow echoes on the commandments given by God himself. Because if the constitution tells me, yeah, everyone has a right to life, 
uh, which is inherent to all human beings. And the penal code says if you kill, you go to jail for life. Um, then I look back to the Ten Commandments and God says, do not do what? Do not kill. So for every form of established government, there has to be a reference point for their laws. As in, there just has to be. No government can say that their laws just came out of nowhere. And it's either out of reason, it's either out of necessity, or it's, you know, based on natural law, laws that exist that are inherent to mankind. And uh, for me, this discussion is important because we need to understand the fundamental that even if I go out into the field and I am one of the people involved in making policies and making laws, I look back the laws blindly, but I look at the three fundamental rights that are inherent to a human being. And I feel most of our problems can be solved. Most of our, of our legal issues and societal issues can be uh, solved by just always making a reference point to those three. The moment we make a reference point to those three, this person still will know that, no, uh, this person has a right to property, which is protected. And if it is protected and there are actually policies to enforce that protection, I cannot come and grab that land because it is their property which I will be infringing on that right. If someone comes and someone, uh, and let's say, um, yeah, the, uh, this, uh, the, the government is trying to impede on our democracy, they can have at the back of their minds, okay, this is these people have a right to their liberty and we should not infringe on that. So I think that should be the basis of it. And every person needs to be educated on that because, you know, most people always just feel the government just legislates because they want to. Well, that's not how it's supposed to be. So I think there is a role everyone has to play. And I always avoid, yeah, that's why I was really questioning your title again. I liked it, but I was questioning it because I'm like, Okay, what if someone is not a Christian now? Okay, how you, go? you know, I was really scared. <laughs> As of yesterday, maybe I was really scared because I'm like, I personally have friends who are not Christians. So when they hear me, they're like, so now what are you trying to say? You're trying to say that our laws come from the Bible. I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in God. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's I don't know, it's always just a tiring argument to, to have. I like arguing, but I, we do zingin and achanga to that. So I think we need to relearn. Let me say relearn because there's something we've already learned, but we need to relearn on where our laws come from and the important aspects of it. And once we do that, then we can actually have some effectiveness when it comes to a certain body um, making legislation or enforcing certain legislation. We can actually be like, wait, no you are going beyond your powers you're not supposed to be doing this so yeah and i think i tend to agree with you it's a structural issue because that will actually influence our our thinking and actually divert our thinking so i agree to disagree i have agreed to that uh yeah i don't think there is much to say i don't want to comment on the revelation 13 uh the beast the beast of the sea <laughs> because that will involve <laughs> going into a lot of 
which I don't want to do right now. <laughs> I beg. Hello. Yeah, so, so, so um, I think that's that for this week. Uh, so thank you so much. Um, so I, I hope you'll be available, I believe in three weeks time, um, so that I can bring uh, all the four guests that, that, I'm, that I'm having <coughs> um, to kind of have a live stream um, where we can have questions in real time um, and just have that discussion uh, because it's, it's so important and even even as Christians, like we need to know how to do this correctly, um, you know how to talk to people and how to, because like whatever we at the end of it all, this is a Christian endeavor, um, and and we need to we need to know how to synthesize the gospel, yeah, uh, but it still remains the gospel. So anyway, um, yes. So thank you so much, Effie. Uh, this has been fun. As you could have noticed, this thing would have gone on for for longer, because they're, they're, they're like the things I have here, Sijasema, I wanted to ask you, but anyway, we'll 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 try and do that uh, in three weeks' time. Um, so thank you so <laughs> much. Nisawa, <laughs> Nisawa, yeah. So thank you so much, and yes. I think I can end it at there. So thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. It's mm -hmm. it's enlightening. As in, now trust me, you have motivated me to go back and read uh, about Romans and Athens. I used to be a fan of Greek mythology back in high school, but I don't. Know, I think I just I, I just I just lost it. It 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 stopped becoming interesting <laughs> after after I think after second year in law school after I did. Uh, social foundations and jurisprudence. Uh, law made it boring for me. So, yeah, but I think I need to go back and read that. I feel they gave us foundations for government. But thanks so much. This is nice.